Again. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. I definitely have that holiday vibe going. That's awesome. It's uh, dis- going to be December twentieth when they hear this, and the Christmas- is it the twentieth? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 The day before solstice. Yes, and I read a thing that said that the actual physio- physical reality of where the with the Earth shape and the orbit that the shortest day is actually going to be. I think Sunday night, not Tuesday. And where'd you read this? Mad Magazine? Uh, no. <laughs> Close. I read it on Facebook. <laughs> oh, then it's got to be true. <laughs> but my friend showed a very convincing chart that showed the orbital patterns of an astronomer showing that despite the, the way we run the calendar, the, the reality of the physical na- relationship of how the Earth's spinning, et cetera, et cetera, in Northern California on the, the solstice isn't actually on the 21st this year. Or wait, no. The solstice is on the 21st, but the shortest day of the year, physically speaking, is actually two days before. And there's always someone who's just going to have to come up and go, by the way, you're not celebrating your birthday on your real birthday because you were actually born. (laughs) Right. (laughs) In a Teflon pan. (laughs) On the fifth Tuesday of the 17th month beyond seven dare. Because Neptune was in retrograde, and everyone knows. <laughs> in fact, mo- this brings up an important point, which is that Jesus wasn't born in December. Well, some people just say, you just stop there. You don't even have to put December. <laughs> he just wasn't born? Exactly. That doesn't make sense. To some, it does. Yeah. Bring them. Bring them in here. I want to speak to them. (laughs) Hey, speaking of um, my family for the next episode has opted out of being a guest. (laughs) Well, we'll save that for the production meeting on Monday. I don't want people to see how the sausage is made. Uh, (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about um, each of us has picked five movies, five Christmas movies that we think are worth watching. Or for some other reason, might be worth talking about whether they're worth watching is questionable. Oh, our top five holiday movies. Right. It was extremely difficult. Was it hard for you to come up with the top five? No. Okay. It was hard. First three were like bam, 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 bam. And then the fourth one, I always forget, but it was a bam too. Like they're all shoe ins. I'll say this. Because I put a lot more like. Like, no, no, it's got to be more weird and eccentric than that. So maybe we won't have the same five. Oh, maybe not. (laughs) I sure hope not. Let me just ask, is Die Hard on your list? No. Mine neither. So right (laughs) away, boom. See you later, Die Hard. But this is a top five list, so, you know. 
here's the thing. My fifth one, choosing the version was actually easy for me, but there was an element of... Well, let's get into it. What is it? No, I can't start with my fifth one. Yeah, we're going to go five, four, three, two, and come up with the, the best the, ones. Our number, oh, I can't do that because these are all... There's none better than the other. Well, then it doesn't matter whether you start at five or not. Right. All right. So we're diving into this and I'm going first. All right. Let me start with the one that is always, um, this is the one I'd keep forgetting. I'd go, I know I have a fifth, I'd, I'd have a fourth one. Cause the first four were like, bam. I go, what is the fourth one? So I, anyway, here we go. Miracle on 34th street. Awesome. So what is either, it about? Either version too. It could be the old one or the new one. Yeah, what's the I, I mean, I'm familiar with the old one. What's the new one? It's pretty much the same premise, only um <clears throat> only not as good. Only not as good. I think instead <laughs> of no, it is good. See that it, like it is good. And I think instead of the letters, which is what they used in the court in the old one, in the new one they use a, a dollar bill and it says in God we trust. And so the lawyer's point was, well, if the U.S. government is putting on the dollar bill that they trust in something they can't see, they can't prove, they can't blah, blah, therefore. So the reason you like it is that there's this point in each of the films where Santa is basically put on trial. Well, here's what I will say, that in all my choices, that is definitely a thing. All my choices are the premise of not believing and overcoming disbelief to a miracle. Like, it's just like the miracle cannot be ignored. Awesome. So in the original one, it's the letters that are presented in court, right? right. And the, 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 so if the U.S. Postal Service recognizes Santa and deliver these And it's a U.S. Messages, government... And, and to these, to this guy, because they've been delivering them to this guy, right? Right, right. Then what better evidence do you need that he's Santa? Right. Right. And so that's the payoff because there's this sort of attacking of whether Santa's real or not at this, as the premise of the film. Right. And in the story is, you know, like the, the, the wonderful being is sending people to the other store, you know, Oh, we don't have that here, but if you go over there and it becomes, it blows up, people are loving it, you know? So in actuality, he's going against the whole marketing capitalist greed ethic of mine, 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 keep it all here, keep it all here. It's like, no, share it. And in that sharing more abundance happens. And is that in both films? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's like, even though I don't have it here, go buy it over here instead of like, well, why don't you buy this instead from us? Got it. Right. <clears throat> and there are bad people. Stay away from them. You know? Well, and what's interesting to me about this particular set of the two versions of the film is that they correspond to you in the sense that the big gift is the house. Like the, I don't think in the original it was a house in the new yeah, one. It is. 
Is it a house? Yeah, the little girl wants the house with where, so that the mommy and daddy can be together. Right. She's, right. Right. She wants the home because she thinks that that will be the key to them being together. Right. Right. So I just yeah, and that's the other piece is the innocence. You know, the innocent child who believes but doesn't believe and has had their parent, you know, like take that magic out of them. And um, because you got a the real world. <laughs> and then, yeah, so the overcoming of that skeptic, that, you know, real world hard knocks to this miraculous life. Yeah. Yeah. So what else could we say about Miracle on 34th Street? Like the title Miracles in it, which both you and I are students of A Course in Miracles. So I guess that's why. And then in the films, the idea of disbelief in the form of innocence being overcome, right? With the little girl in each one. And then our own disbelief in Santa is challenged by what we would consider adult level proof in the court of opinion. Right. right? And then at the final part of the film, there's this sort of like everyone is invited, not just the girl and not just the adults, but this idea of somehow this real estate miracle happens. And the that that strikes at the heart of Americans because it's the home ownership motif is is really like the big thing that we all really want. It, it's it puts us in a class of having. Yeah, but it's here's the thing. It's not it's not a four walls and a roof. It's this warm place with family and 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 the essence for me of miracle 34th street is love wins right and and it wins with insurmountable odds and that's the other thing i think all the choices i have are insurmountable odds like there is a real miracle in on paper, it wasn't going to work out for all of the stories I chose. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. How things on paper don't actually turn out the way we think, and that ends up being better. Right. And I think that's an issue I have with academia. When it's strict academics, I think it gets really locked in this show it thing. And it the the ethereal essence of life without that peace in knowledge it's stale it becomes like concrete and doesn't live yeah this idea of the spirit of of life and love living in an un codified way it always shows up in a new form and in, in a way we don't expect right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah all right all right so there's my five what's yours my number five is the film love actually Ooh, that's a good one right and one of the things i love about it is it's actually like four or five films in one yeah there's the story of the guy who's the rock and roll legend who's kind of past his prime and he's kind of not a very lovable character, right? But by the end of the movie, he kind of redeems himself in a certain way, 
but he's still not he, he redeems himself to the public but in in the background he's still kind of a a not very lovable character but he ends up you know hanging out with his his manager person right and that that's where their connection is and you know this film has so many people you know and and i love how he slags on elton john he's like yeah i could have gone to the elton john party but i'd rather spend it with you getting drunk and watching porn and then there's like just so many intertwining relationships like we see these little vignettes right and the idea that the one person is getting married and the best man is totally in love with her but she doesn't know it until she comes to get the video from him and so then she starts to realize that he's totally obsessed with her and then he shows up later and even though it's Christmas and he's breaking up a marriage, he can't help himself. And so he's he sh- he does the Bob Dylan thing where he's playing the music, but he's he's revealing these cue cards which tell the truth about what she really what he really thinks about her. And what's crazy about this movie is it's kind of counterintuitive because we see that the husband she's with really doesn't have the kind of caring for her. He's kind of going through the motions. And so there's this moment where we end up in the uncomfortable position of actually rooting for the cheaters to have the experience that they want to have. And so this film is the, the sort of messy reality of relationships and the, the multiple tangled webs of how everybody comes together. And in the end, this kind of willingness to do the difficult reveal, to admit the uncomfortable thing, right, is what ends up clicking everything into place so that people can actually be together. And it's sort of strange because the husband actually ends up with someone else, with another person, and they're happier, too, for it. So it's like we have all these conventions around how we live our life, but the heart doesn't follow those. You know, what's interesting is I don't remember that storyline at all right totally. there was a bunch of it i don't remember too but fortunately wikipedia exists one one of the things i love though is the little kid and i love how he and his father are having trouble like his father's having trouble connecting with him and when he finally does connect with him at the end and he's all oh, you love this girl let's go get her let's go and he's like totally like yeah it's crazy and we're doing this and that to me is what a dad should be. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm on your ship. Let's go. Yeah, totally. And then there's the whole thing around um, how this very, the prime minister yeah. who supposedly isn't supposed to be involved with certain kinds of people, but he realizes that it doesn't matter where we come from, that love knows no limitations. And so he breaks all the convention and he ends up being with this woman what were you going to say? Well, I just remembered the whole thing with the professor and his wife. And that was a sad storyline. Like that right. doesn't have a happy ending. Right. There's a lot of reality in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was fucking hardcore, man. When she realizes like that necklace wasn't for her. And yeah, it's, and, it's so... like, and he realizes too, like, oh, this just, this isn't a good thing. 
And it, so this film is just, it shows the really uncomfortable underbelly of human relationships. And then also how we, you know, move through the world in trying to resolve all the tension that comes up around it. Um, and you got to, admire any movie that has Billy Bob Thornton as the president of the United States. I forgot about that piece. (laughs) That's Oh, that might be one to watch again this year. It's a perennial. Like the the ones I picked, I think I can watch every year. I'm not sure because a couple of them are really new and they're, I'm not sure that they have that kind of long-term staying power. And I'm really glad that I didn't pick like just like, for instance, a wonderful life is not on my list. Right. So, and that's a great movie, but it's not on my list. It's on mine. <laughs> awesome. So, well, wait, let's wrap this up for yours. Cause um, that was one of the prerequisites for me. Like as I was imagining, okay, what's my top five. One of the things I came to is I would watch any one of these <clears throat> right now. Like I would, I've seen these lots of times and I'll probably see them lots of times more. And there's never, when watching it, it's never a grind. It's always a joyful experience. Well, what's interesting about this particular film is because it's so complicated and there's so many nuanced relationships, we forget. So it's the kind of thing that if you watch it a couple, three times, even like three years in a row, you'll watch it and be surprised again because of the complexity that's involved. And I love the um, two porn stand-ins. Their storyline is so fun. I don't remember that. What is that? Remember the the couple where they're stand-ins for the porn, and that's how they meet. Right. And so when doing the lighting stuff, oh, can you grab her breast? Uh, Yeah. And at this point, they kind of have a connection. But he's sort of like, oh, okay. Like, that's (laughs) my job. uh." Right. Now I remember. Yeah. 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 That's, that's hilarious. I remember watching this with the kids when they were pretty little. Yeah. And there was like that scene, Liz and I had totally forgot about that. And that comes over like, okay, so now this is happening. All right, here we go. So I just want to note for the audience that we're, we apparently are having some kind of audio glitches and hopefully that won't be too disturbing but I'm noticing that there's some audio artifacts showing up and that's just the way digital production goes sometimes. Um, so I'm not hearing it at all. I'm hearing it. Um, and it's specifically around your, uh, stuff, but it isn't so bad that we have to stop. Right. It's just that, that I noticed a couple of things. Um, let's go continue. What's the next film for you? All right. So next on my list is elf. Awesome. And that one in part is because that's Jonah's film. He mm. has created the family tradition that that gets watched every Christmas. And it's a brilliant film. Once again, the non-believer, the miracle, the overcoming disbelief, it really shouldn't work. And I think James Kahn did a brilliant job as the father And um, I watched the Netflix special that's been going on where they, you know, behind the scenes. So to learn what a shoestring they were on creating that movie. Yeah. And and the risks involved with Will Ferrell at the time, because he wasn't a known. Yeah. In fact, they were like, no, we don't want 
him and you know right right and and to see james khan like not getting him at first like what the fuck are you doing but then getting it oh i get it and and how everyone the tricks they did like the things with you know so that he looked like a huge giant elf in the toy stop with you know perspective tricks with the camera yeah and then also i love um they're not on my list but the tv shows of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer that are in the film that are in the film yeah the homages to that yeah so Yeah. yeah elf is definitely and that i think um and for all you fucking cancel culture bullshitters <laughs> i love the, with uh what's her name who did the tv thing that girl you know she played the love interest and the song yeah maybe it's cold outside right right you know? it plays a prominent role in that film and we've since realized that that's a kind of patriarchal well some piece. haven't fuck that i haven't realized that it's a great christmas car Okay, I see that uh, this it hasn't still penetrated your consciousness. Why that's no, a problematic? No, song. it hasn't. No, I kind of feel like the man and woman in the studio who were singing that song were just having a good time, having fun. Sometimes, right? But it's not the them that's the concern. It's the context of the 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 power dynamic in that thing where she's just saying, "Hey, I got I got to go," and he keeps coercing her to try to stay. Okay, we can throw all sorts of chaos into that. And we can also throw non-chaos into that. Maybe they were just being being flirty. Maybe this is an opportunity to do a really good Christmas movie based on the song. Fuck yeah. I right? Like that and, idea. Right? This is, this is a great like idea. Yeah. yeah. And we'll really explore these things and then somehow weave it together in a miracle of sovereignty and um, non-patriarchal dominant um, well, here's culture. The thing, like... Um, energy not not anyone can embody any energy right so masculine and feminine there is a joy to the playful cat and mouse play of sexual flirtation and and i think kind of that for me that's more of what that song's about you know when she says well maybe just one more that's not because she's being forced to it because she wants the game to continue. Well, this quickly could dissolve into a conversation about that song instead of about Christmas movies. And um, I get it. It's, but yeah, I don't want to eat up all our time because we still have like okay. eight more movies to get to. And we've right, already spent right. almost a half an hour on it. All right. Um, By the way, I have elf socks, so, uh, but they're in the dirty laundry, so I can't show them. Okay. Elf right. socks. Oh, you icy for elf. Got yeah, it. Yeah. So you like that movie. You like that song. And in the end, we end up believing in elf and she buys in eventually too. Yeah. It's like, she's the one who starts sinning. And, and again, the whole thing is like the miracle is drifting away because people quit believing. What's the actress's name? God darn it. I, she had that TV show, you know, with the, that girl, is it? That yeah, I know girl? who it is. I was just Daphne, wondering. Daphne, like Dolphine. No. 
It's not Daphne. Um, oh, it's not that girl either. <laughs> who's who's? Oh, I know the name. It's a. Uh, oh, she's the current host of the new version of the Dating Game on ABC Television. Is she really? I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Um, she's one of my favorites. Zoe Deschanel. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Her last name sounds like a dessert. I'll have a Deschanel with a cappuccino, please. She's a dessert, all right, man. Fuck it is. You're right about that. But it's so funny because she's she's so more pure and not so overtly sensual. And I'm not I'm not sure about her in real life, but I have a feeling that she's also like that too. She's like kind of reserved and. Well, we'll have to ask her ex husbands. <laughs> Does she have plural ex husbands? Th- yeah, that's what I just glanced at. New girl. That's yeah, bad. new girl. I really like her body of work. Yeah, she. Yeah, and she's also done some um, some recordings with people that are pretty cool. Like if you, I, I just can't remember her guesting with some solid people. Anyway, anyway. Awesome. All right. So, what's your second? Scrooged. Ah! Sorry. <laughs> That's a great choice. That's interesting because my very last choice isn't Scrooge, but that was that was a contender. And um yeah. I really love this new take on it in the modern world with a uh cynical uh network executive who's really irredeemable right up until the last minute. And there's so many great characters in it. Like, you know, the fact that he got Robert Mitchum to play his, you know, the studio owner and Bobcat Goldthwait and, you know, Karen Allen. And what's his name from New York Dolls? Right. He plays the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. Taxi driver. Yeah. Right. And he's got such flavor. It's got such a New York flavor to it. This, this thing. Right. And, um, then and also what's with the toaster, that scene always gets me. The, I heard she really smashed him with that toaster. Well, the the Christmas present, right? Go, the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. Right, and what's she. That? Yeah. She's the fairy, right? Yeah. 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 Wait, no, no, that's the ghost of Christmas. No, future. that was ghost of Christmas present. And she smacks him around and pulls on his lips yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. She's really great. And then um, all of the, the tension that's in pretty much every scene, especially when the production starts and he's like supposedly running it, but he's, he's just ruining everything. Right. Like these people are working their butts off to pull this thing on, on live on Christmas Eve. And he's just, so irredeemable. It's it's not like Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, there's a payoff at the end where he gets it, right? But the miracle is really about the miracle that happens inside of him. Not so much as like the big, big, you know. Well, that's what I think all that is the real miracle. The yeah. real miracle is that people are transformed inside. Yeah. Agreed. 
Yeah. And it's such a great backdrop, you know, and I love Bill Murray. I think he's like one of the greats. He did a great job. That commercial he made was so fucking good. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, plus it has Indiana Jones girlfriend as the right. love interest. Right. And so there was apparently there's a lot of controversy because they went through several iterations on the script and she was coming out of theater. And so she was like trying to follow exactly. And Bill was totally improvising all the time and constantly tearing up the script and doing all this crazy stuff. And so their actual chemistry on set apparently wasn't nearly as as connected as as one would hope. And, you know, he's got his brothers are in it, you know, the solid gold dancers uh, there's just all these different, you know, Lee Majors is in it. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. I love the line where he's all just staple the fucking antlers to their head. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. <laughs> right. He is such the, the maniac. Yeah. Oh, and that, and the ghost of Christmas future with that whole bit was such a harrowing bit you know like all the scenes involved with christmas future were so dark and cold yeah it really went dark he really they really went there which helps with the sort of the the release right but then the final scene at the end when they're singing put a little love in your heart like the what happens for me every time i watch the movie is i just i start to tear up as a result of that song. And I think that's one of the things that that's really potent about Bill Murray's body of work is that the, he really gets how music works. And in this case, that song really just hits home, right? How about how it's really, how we just have a choice to like try to treat each other with a little bit more love and a little bit more um, optimism and hope. And is Viola Davis the actress who played the single mother? And Let me look. Assistant? Yeah, I think it is her. She plays the assistant, right? Right, and she has a son. Yeah. Who's the tiny Tim. I'm character. looking at the list here. I don't see Viola Davis's name. Who was it? Great choice. Yeah. I love the, the hand coming out of uh, the elevator. That was just <laughs> so much good. Yeah, f- unfortunately, um, Wikipedia doesn't list her in the cast, which I think is a, a, a sad reality. David Johansson, he was the tech. Carol right. Kane goes That's- to Christmas present. Right. Um, oh, Alfred, Alfred Woodard. Alfred, she was the one who played the assistant. Alfred Woodard. Yeah, that's it. And she's, she's a producer. Been in- yeah, 12 Years a Slave. She's been in tons of stuff. Yeah. She really brought some gravitas to the movie. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like with that song you mentioning, her presence in that was a big part of the emotion for me. And what's so successful, I think, about this film and then about these kinds of stories is that in order for the upside to feel so good when we get to the final act, the depths actually have to be real. They have to, he really has to be an unlikable character and he has to do some serious, some actually really dark things in order for us to feel the full weight of his, you know, emancipation and then the miracle um, of it. And I love that about this film. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say that's real. All right, let's move on. What's your next one? It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. And that just, I think, to me, it's a given. You know, you got the angel coming. You hear a bell, an angel gets his wings. And once again, you've got someone who has, first of all, I have an affiliation with someone who kept letting go of their personal dream to help others. I I appreciate, like, that's a nice path to follow. The path of altruism, where he's just giving away the bank to everyone to help them. Right. And like, he's he's all packed up and ready to go. And something happens. He's like, ah, fuck. Okay. And so he goes back and deals with it. And he's always putting his dream on hold. And, um, and then to have that experience of what would life be like if I wasn't here? So to be able to really see the impact one has on life is, you know, sort of a, I'd say a bucket list item in a way. Obviously, I don't expect it to happen, but, it, you know, and again, at the end where the, all the townspeople come with money to, you know, and so, yeah, that to me was a shoe in. It's also bleak in the, in you know, the whole idea of, of killing ourselves when the things are the darkest. Yeah. And what, you know, what a huge loss that is and how what it does is it perpetuates everybody else's suffering in a deep, way deeper way than if we just sort of stick around and and toil through it. Um, Yeah, it's obviously such a classic and, and you know, it's it's worth watching every year, I think. Um, (sighs) Would you colorize it ever? No. No, no, no. I picture it in black and white. That's interesting. I, was it colorized? Remember when Turner was doing that? Ooh. Never was. Yeah. No, I would not. Yeah. And and partly, you know, what comes to mind is like the scenes on the bridge and the snow when he goes back to the bar and it's just fucking hell. I think the black and white element even gives more to that whole shadow aspect of the story. Yeah. And there's no, it's noir, right? It just takes it again to the depths. Right. Right. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about it is like with Scrooge and with some of the other movies, there's this thing that the story can be remade and with it's a wonderful life, there'll never be a sequel. If they ever try to make a sequel out of that movie, they're going to just be so many people will cry foul. Yeah, or try to remake it, which is interesting. Just whipping back to Miracle on 34th. That's the only one I can think of where they remade it and it's still on point. Yeah, Uh, there's enough. That's always a risk. Yeah, huge risk. I can't think of any. I still think the emotional weight of the original is still, you know, better. And you could never do anything better than It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy yeah. Stewart. I mean, yeah. it'd just be crazy to try it. Like, and the let's entertain for 30 seconds. I know we're going to run out of time. But if you had to cast It's a Wonderful Life today and we were going to do the unthinkable, who could play him? Exactly. Nobody. <laughs> there we go. All right. So what's your number three? All right. My number three is 
Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Really? Yeah. What I love about this is these two characters are committed to their lack of commitment to each other, right? They, they're definitely in relationship, but they both aren't really that much into being like in a relationship or being married and having kids. They don't really even want to buy into the kind of the schmaltz of, of the Christmas holiday. Right. But they get stuck. They're, they're kind of the yuppie, you know, couple, and they get stuck at the San Francisco airport and their trip to uh, the Tahiti gets canceled. And so they're forced to go. And they might as well go visit their families. Now, each of their parents is in a divorced couple. So that's four different houses that they have to go to. So they they end up going with each other to a few of them and they meet the dysfunctional families, you know, and there's some great um, Robert Duvall's in it. Right. John Voight, Sissy Spacek, you know, it's a good cast. John Favreau's in it. And what I love about the film was at the time I first saw it, my own marriage was really on the rocks. And so there's all this like, and I come from divorced parents, right? So there's all this family tension around broken humans and bad relationship dynamics and, and how they cause trauma. And the whole Robert Duvall character is constantly like his, his young, he he's witnessing his younger brother, the Vince Vaughn character, Brad is as, as, and how he's been stunted by being in this, you know, relationship with his dad. And, and he all, and there's this horrible tension and he's so cynical. Brad is so cynical as a result and he doesn't want a family. And then in the film, there's this moment where the two lovers have an argument and they end up splitting up. One gets out of the car and heads off and they end up at their back at their folks house, kind of licking their wounds. And it's while the male protagonist, Brad character is with his father that something clicks for him. And he starts to realize that he would want a family and that he would want to get married and he's basically prior to that, he, you know, his girlfriend, Reese Witherspoon, Kate has said, you know, I think I want this. She like realizes that the family's important to her and he gets scared and he runs. And I think this is an, a pretty potent thing um, for men. And it was part of my life. Like I was a little relationship averse because I came from divorced parents. And so I eventually fell in love at such a level that I overcame that. And I wanted the happy ending. And so I love that at the end of this movie, they realize that the miracle of their love and their connection um, is so potent. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a B movie. It, why it's on my top five list. It's probably because of my own, you know, wounding and my own family history that, that makes it that way. It's not that it's that significant. I mean, the fact that I bring it up, it's a wonderful lot next to a wonderful (laughs) life tells us a lot, right? But But look at the cast, Reese Witherspoon, Vince Vaughn, Mary Steenburgen, Robert Duvall, Sissy Spacek, John Voight, John Favreau, Dwight Yoakam, Tim McGraw, Kristen Chenoweth. Like not an, not an Academy Award winner among them. None of Sissy Spacek has definitely won an Academy Award. Yeah. And Robert Duvall has won an Academy Award. You're right. You're right. So I, 
Like I this- think it's it's the context for modern society is great because we're our society's not like it was in and it's a wonderful life. All the family units in that film have this sanctity right. and this structure to right. them. And so what's great about this is it's set in this dysfunctional reality that was part of America. And yet it redeems all of these crazy characters. We still like, I still don't like the Robert Duvall character. Like in the end, he's still a father. I wouldn't really want to have. Right. And I, and I think that it's okay for us to realize there are certain relatives we don't love the way we're supposed to or whatever. Right. But to me, it's the way that in the end they get past all their Shempa, all their fear based on their trauma. And they decide to take the risk and actually go all in and become a family. And that appeals to me at a deep level because I come from a broken family. And so that's like the ultimate Christmas wish for me is that the family will be healed and love will be triumphant. All right. Well, now I kind of want to see that again. I know I've seen it, but it's, I think I've watched it once and I might come back to that this holiday season. All right. What's your next one? All right. Santa Claus, the Santa Claus, the Santa Claus. And who's in that? Oh, what's his name? He had the TV show, stand up comic. Um, First of all, I like the, um, the um, Tim Allen. Oh yeah. So, um, and judge again, judge Reinhold. So Tim Allen is in a broken you know, he's divorced. He's got a young boy. And uh, so the Santa Claus is a clause, a legal clause. That's a part of the Santa suit. And if Santa dies and you put on the suit, you're Santa Claus. That's yeah, the yeah. Santa Claus. So I love that one liner, you know, in the title. But again, you're overcoming disbelief. And... um yeah. And and again, kind of like how in Mrs. Doubtfire, where at the very end, Robin Williams is saying to the world, hey, sometimes marriages end, but it's still family. You know, we're still all together. Yeah. And that's kind of the premise of Santa Claus. Like they don't the mom and dad don't get back together, but there is a oneness in a family that they all appreciate. And what I also love is um the ex-wife and her new husband don't believe in Santa Claus because they asked for something as kids and they never got it. And at the end of this movie, those gifts arrive. And so, and part of what's cool is like the look on their face is like an eight year old boy just got his, you know, Oscar Mayer wiener whistle. And, and you're just like, you know, so yeah. I can watch Santa Claus over and over. The second one was good too. So that was part of what I was wondering, you know, but the third one sucks ass. Don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) But this, this first one, you know, it's a definite keeper. Yeah. At one point in the film, there's an exchange between Scott and Laura, where Laura hands Scott a piece of paper with one of the other characters, mother's phone number on it. And Scott says, 1-800-SPANK-ME? I know that number. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, Tim Allen's acerbic wit is kind of throughout, and it's good. And and, uh, his helper up at the North Pole had a really dark sarcasm. So it's got some good 
some cynicism in it. Yeah. Plus fucking North pole was magic. I would move there in a heartbeat. Yeah. The way North pole is rendered in that film is really great. That's pretty epic. That's a, and that's an important part of, of a good, you know, Christmas movie. If it involves Santa Claus, it's like seeing the, the coming to life of the different things. Yeah. Is there anything else about the Santa Claus that really resonates with you? That statement, like, or the movie itself, the movie itself. Well, again, it's obvious the, um, the transformation of non-believer to believer and how you uh, said earlier, really the miracles inside. So to the, the change from non-believer to believer is a miraculous event. And um, so that I think leads well into my next one, because the one I'm got next is called Fred Claus. I know this which one. Is Vince Vaughn and Paul Giamatti, right? Vince and it's Vaughn the same again. thing. And he is kind of a, He's kind of a ne'er-do-well. He's, you know, he's brothers with um, Nick Claus, but he's been jealous of him since the parents favored him. And then at one point, you know, his younger brother, Nick, cuts down his favorite tree when they're kids. And that causes a big rift for him. And so Nick or uh, Fred just goes through life hating his brother and hating his brother. And he's really avoidant and his relationship's dysfunctional and he's broke. And so he, he ends up in trouble. He get he like goes out and he wants to set up something special and try and do something good for his girlfriend on her birthday. And he screws it up and totally lands in jail and he can't call her. So he calls his brother, Santa, and, you know, Santa says, yeah, I'll give you the 5000 But meanwhile, his wife's in the bed next to him. Don't give him more money, like blah, blah, blah. And Santa's like, well, all right, I'll give it to you. And then Vince says, well, while we're at it, like what I re- and But Santa says, why don't you come up and help me and earn some of it by helping me? Because we're behind schedule, right? And Vince Vaughn says, well, if I'm going to come up there, why don't make it 55000 Because he wants to buy this restaurant, Right. So he ends up up there at the North Pole. And again, it's this beautiful North Pole. And we see these ways that we envision how the the elves make all the toys and stuff. And again, the photography at that point is really tricky because you've got Vince Vaughn and you've got elves played by real actors. So just like with Elf, there's this whole thing that has to be done with the camera to get the scale right. Anyway, um. Nick, not Nick, um, Fred ends up having to take over for Santa because Santa becomes incapacitated from all the stress. And then um, there's also this subplot where Kevin Spacey plays this uh, like he's an auditor, an efficiency expert. And he he's like, if you screw this up, it's three strikes and we're shutting the whole North pole down. And that eventually happens. Right. And so there's this dark moment where it looks like Christmas can't happen for the first time ever. Um, Kevin Spacey's character is like, shut it down. And there's this moment where Santa and Kevin Spacey meet while Fred Claus is out trying to make the world happen and, and Christmas happen. And he gives Kevin Spacey this present. And he says, I'm really sorry. You know, I missed you that one year. And I know you really wanted a Superman cape. And 
Kevin Spacey opens up the present and there's the Superman cape. And just like the Grinch, it totally changes his heart. And he opens Christmas, the North Pole back up and Fred Claus gets back on track. And, but there's all these weird things that happen in the middle. Like at one point, Fred Claus is like hating it and there's an intervention and they fly his girlfriend up to the North Pole. And she's like, what? Who knew that you were a Claus? Like, right. And, um, so, and I love that Vince Vaughn's writing style where it's like, it's again, it's, he's a guy's guy and he, he, it's a lot of the, the masculinity that we are calling toxic masculine right now, but it's still, he plays it sort of as if it's functional. Right. And there's this aspect to it. That's, that's really, you know, un- I think it is functional. Well, I that's agree. Part of my point, you know, yeah. it's like, Let's not toss the baby out with the bathwater. Well, he gets over his resentment and then he has the, then he admits to his brother that he loves him. He admits to his girlfriend that, that he really deeply cares about her and he was trying to help her. And, you know, all turns out well in the end. And he, he moves beyond his fears and gets in the sleigh and, you know, does all these crazy things to make Christmas happen in the end. And it's like, it's not on the level again, it's not a wonderful life, but it's a really fun Christmas romp. I've never seen it. So yeah. I'll have to, uh, I think I'll be watching it. this. All week. right. So we have another 10 minutes and we each have two. You have no, two one. Have... We're on our last one. All right. Go for it. Um, all right. So last one was Christmas Carol. And, um, what I had, this is my, I've, I, (laughs) fucking story is brilliant. Like Dickens wrote, he's a master writer. I love his language. The way he writes is so picturesque and full of great storytelling elements and a Christmas Carol. I love that he wanted to write a ghost story that was the spirit of Christmas. And when I, I've just found a podcast on Spotify of a reading of it, that's brilliant. And I, and part of what I was listening to is in the language, like how dark it is. So that's a long winded way to say there are a lot of like, you brought one up Scrooge. That was definitely in my consideration. Like, which one do I go with though? And I had to go back to the one that first reeled me in, Mr. Magoo's A Christmas Carol. Really? Yeah. It is brilliant. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It is one of the best. And you've got the one with George C. Scott. You've got yours, Scrooged. But this one out of, you know, and those I think are the top three, Scrooged. Um, the one with George C. Scott and then Mr. Magoo's A Christmas Carol. And that's the one, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. So even though it's animated. Yeah. It's and it's voiced by all these cr- classic, you know, old, you know, actors. Yeah. It goes dark. It not as dark, but it does. Like, I would say there's a song in there called All Alone in the World. And it's from uh, the ghost of Christmas past where he sees where he's alone at the schoolyard. Now, part of like he's left back at school. And part of what I didn't understand until just this recent um, reading of Christmas Carol is 
like I always thought Scrooge came from a well-off family and that this boarding house school he was at was for the wealthy. No, it was for the fucking poor. He was there because his father couldn't afford to have him at home. And season after season, he'd be left at school alone while everyone else went home. But this one that the spirit shows, his sister shows up and says, hey, dad says he can afford it now. You can come home. Ah. And um, but the song in it, um, all alone in the world is fucking heartbreaking, brings tears to my eyes. And um there is darkness, but it's kind of animated Magoo darkness. Yeah, know? yeah. It's, I got it. I get it's cartoonish. it. It's there. Um, like when he sees his grave, it's it's dark. Yeah. And and when I and in my experience again, like this was the first rendering of this story that I ever saw as a kid, and I was hooked. And the um, the next day, where he wakes up, and the miracle took place in one night, and he's a new man, is exuberant and full of life and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Christmas movie. All of the characters that have different struggles and different emotional struggles. And then the spiritual struggle where, you know, the one guy's the, the, the geezer who's not, you know, not very generous, becoming generous and, you know, all of the different things and the, the, op, the eternal optimism of the young orphan, you know, all of that's really important stuff in terms of the human miracle. I totally get it. Plus, I love the line, you know, you were always a good man of business and Marley going, mankind was my business. Yeah. And that idea of these chains and heavy weights that yeah. you're dragging for eternity. And part of the pain is that these ghosts and spirits are seeing these people who need help and they can't help them. And that's yeah. part of their pain that they're enduring, you know. For, oh. Yeah. All right, brother. What's your fifth? All right. My fifth is a 2020 movie called The Happiest Season. I don't know this one. Yeah. And there's no one you've heard of it with the exception of Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis, who are the two principal characters. And basically the film opens and there's these two very different characters, but they're two women and they're in clearly in a lesbian relationship. And they're enjoying their community. They're going, they go on a walk to see all the the lights and stuff like that. And they're, you can really feel their true connection for each other. And it turns out that they, the one is going to go away to her, their parents' house for the, the holidays. And, and the other one is happy to stay home and, and it's no big deal. But the one says, Oh, will you please come? Like, I don't want to be alone with my, at my parents' house because there's all this dysfunction there. And it turns out that her father has always put on his daughters this heavy standard of perfection because he's a politician and he's like constantly putting his family in front of the limelight to, to create the idea that he's successful, right? And that he's the right guy for the thing. So there's a subtext of his constantly needing to be 
um, viewed as perfect in front of the public. And his wife is his social media director, right? And so there's always these things where she's pulling out the phone for the Instagram, right? And like there's this whole undercurrent of, of, you know, what we, what our image is on the top. Well, they're, the two women are driving up to the parents' house, and the one woman whose parents it is has to admit that when she said in July that she'd come out to her parents as gay, she was lying. And so she's in the car and she admits to her lover and lived in lover, you know, that she didn't actually tell her parents. And so she can't, they have to pretend when they get there that they're just roommates. And the one woman is at first, she's a little put off by that, but she's so deeply committed to her partner that she just goes along with every little sort of, um, razor paper cut of denial. And as the film unfolds, her um, capacity to stay connected in this relationship gets worn thinner and thinner by every little micro betrayal that her lover, because her lover is pretending to be someone else the whole time. And so they come back to the hometown and there's all these sub subplots about how she's lived her life and to, to the people she knows she's one way, but to her lover, she's another. Right. And, in it, the one of the subplots is that this girl that she went to high school with is part of the town, and and she keeps running into the would be lover who's not part of the family, played by um, Kristen Stewart. And eventually, she's getting ignored so much because the one person is seeing her high school friends, and she's just like not being included a lot. And so there she is. She's. Her lover's pretending to be someone else. She's spending all this time with these other people. She's not really being real. And that the family itself is really false on all these fronts. Meanwhile, Kristen Stewart is planning to propose to her. And we know this early on in the film because she's, she brings the ring. So there's this thing where her would be wife is continually showing up as false and, and not who she says she is and, and, and then betraying her in various different subtle ways. And eventually it gets to be too much. Like there's this one point where turns out that the girl she went to high school with was gay and they had a gay relationship. And then when it, some boys saw them kissing she denied it and she pulled back and she she said she outed her friend in high school. And so she destroys the relationship in, uh, from, of her friendship and her first gay lover. And she pretends she's not gay from that point on in her culture. And then the, the one who wants to propose, the Kristen Stewart one, she meets this person when one of the nights when she's left alone and they're at a bar that turns out to be a gay bar. Oh, where... So Kristen Stewart plays the one who's the jilted lover. No, Kristen Stewart plays the one who wants to propose. Okay. So and she's by herself a lot. And, and then she needs... runs into town. She, she runs into the other character. Okay. And I, I think that's played by, uh, Alison Brie. Okay. And, so there's this moment where she hears the story of how the her would-be wife outs the other and denies herself, right? Oh, wait. So the Kristen Stewart's character's lover meets the high school girl. Right. And learns how her lover 
outed this woman in high school. And then denied and herself that her. she was gay, right? Right. right. And so then, she learns like she's a bitch. <laughs> well, and she's, but she's, her level of w- willingness not to own what's true for her, it just feels deeper and deeper. And it's really causing her a lot of grief and fear. And there's this moment where the two of them are reconciling finally back at the house. And one of her other sisters catches them kissing. And so at the Christmas Eve dinner, she reveals to the parents that they're actually lovers. And then she does it again and she denies it. She says, no, I'm not gay. Right. I, and so that just breaks the heart of the one who wanted to propose to her. And she calls her gay, gay friend, who's a male, back, you know, three hours away. And he comes to get her. And there's this big, you know, really big conflict. And then there's a moment where the one girl who's been living a lie realizes that she did it in high school and now she's doing it again. And it's going to cost her the most important relationship of her life, something she really wants. And so in the middle of all this chaos in front of her whole family and the potential backers for this guy's campaign, she comes clean. And that's what I love about the film is that there's this moment where it's absolutely the wrong time. There's, there's a million reasons why to stay hidden. And she just steps forward and she lets all the chips fall where they may. And as a result of being authentic and transparent and vulnerable about her truth, all these things unfold where the father has an epiphany about how he's always held up this perfection standard to his daughters. The mom realizes that she's been performing, you know, perfunctory in order to facilitate the dad. And she has all these, this life that she'd like to live. And, and the, the two women initially start to reconcile and then they all break up. (laughs) No, then there's this moment where she actually proposes to her and says, yes, And the family's all in. And so it's this thing where what appeals to me about the film is that these hidden parts of ourselves that we don't want to reveal, that make us feel vulnerable and scared about how people are going to perceive us, eventually bring us to these places of chaos and pain where we hurt each other and we betray each other. And then when we finally are willing to own our desires and be transparent about what, what we really want, it makes it possible for everyone else to do the truth as well. And in the end, the two are, are united and they get married and the backers decide that, that, that they love how the one, because the, the father says, I don't care. You know, I want my daughters to be happy. And if that means I can't be mayor of the town, then so be it. And the backer decides, well, I love how honest you are. And so she decides to back him and he ends up getting elected. And so it's the story of how we harbor all of these hidden aspects of ourselves in order to protect our friends and our family from what we think the damage will be. But in the end, when we reveal our truest nature, it actually makes it possible for everyone else to be honest and forthright too. And that's how the miracle happens. Right. And it's actually, everyone's blessed. Everyone's better off for it. What I also love is I think there's a scenario in there that I probably have done. And I believe I've experienced where someone like the, the Kristen Stewart character with the ring Like there's this thing where I'm going to propose. I got this ring. That's a really big deal. And in that, she thinks all these other little erosions are okay. Because really, look, I'm going to propose. Like that's the, I think the inner dialogue 
that one can tell oneself, I got this really big thing that's going to happen. So this is all okay. But really those little erosions may make it where by the time this no longer is going to happen because you fucked it up. Yeah. And we are about to lose everything. And, and, you know, so, and of course the music and, you know, it's got Dan Levy, who's really funny. He's he's really funny. Um, So yeah, those were my top films. And I really went for the quirky things that aren't obvious because I'm a sentimental person. And, you know, I will admit the big admission I have to our audience is that I get teary in every one of these films because I really love feeling and the Christmas time for me is a time to connect with human beings and to really feel our humanity and the miracle of, of joy and desire that comes through as a result of, of sharing those intimate moments together in the, the warmth of the hearth and home. And I wish that for everyone. May you have the deepest feelings of Christmas with your loved ones. And may you, no matter what your economic level, may you see the true gift of life in uh, your relationships. And if you're all alone, your relationship with yourself. And please stay tuned for the Moped Outlaws first feature length production next December, the patriarchal touchy feely holiday movie of it's cold outside (laughs) recording stopped